This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language and mature themes. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 288. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I am Chris Lester, your guide to the fantastical world of Metamore City. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. Each week, I bring you a piece of my fiction, available in audio for the first time anywhere. I'll also tell you what's new with my life and my writing. More about that later in the show. But first, let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 29 in my Metamore City novel, Making the Cut. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 259 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, the Summer Cell was reeling from Miriam's discovery about Daniel. Their lifelong friend has taken the curse of Metamore and become an androgyne. Even more shocking, Danny appears to have fully embraced a female gender identity, and is now intent on living life as a woman. Rebecca, in particular, was hard hit by this news. Even after their breakup, she and Daniel had always been close, and it hurts to know that he could take a step this drastic without talking to her about it. Fiona, though, had a different reaction. She commended the cleverness of Daniel's decision— Gaining the ability to bear children has just dramatically increased Daniel's value in the reproduction-obsessed Psy Collective. Nothing Daniel could have accomplished as a man would have been more important than that. But this view strikes Rebecca as hypocritical, coming from Fiona. She has been putting off her own childbearing duties, refusing to take off the birth control amulet she has worn since high school. Rebecca accused Fiona of not pulling her own weight, and wanting Daniel to pick up the slack. This sparked an intense argument between the two women, which ended with Rebecca in tears and Brian ordering Fiona to take a walk. With Fiona out of the room, the rest of the cell was left to decide how to handle Daniel's situation. Rebecca was convinced that something must be terribly wrong, because the Daniel she knew never would have done something like this. Miriam said that she must do what she feels is right, but she should remember that people do change, either because they choose to, or because they feel they have no other choice. Miriam then left to have a word with Fiona in private. Rebecca decided that she needed to go talk to Daniel. Sasha will go with her, in case something is wrong with Daniel, and Rebecca needs her protection. Meanwhile, Fiona fled to a balcony further up the tower, where she quietly wept, trying to understand the rage and bitterness that had come out of her in the argument with Rebecca. Miriam joined her there, and observed that Fiona has a rare gift among telepaths. She can dissociate her rational mind from her emotions in order to make decisions more objectively. It's a big part of what makes Fiona effective, both in her old life as a psyop and in her new career as a financial planner, but it comes with a cost. 
Fiona may be able to look at facts objectively, but she's terrible at introspection. Her own emotions are a mystery to her. Gently, Miriam drew out the core of Fiona's insecurity. She is terrified of becoming helpless. Becoming pregnant would make her vulnerable and dependent on others, and she won't allow that to happen. There is deep pain that lies at the core of this fear, something so old and well-guarded that even a powerful telepath like Miriam cannot see it. It is the one emotional influence that Fiona cannot dissociate from her decisions, because it is the only one she refuses to acknowledge. Fiona was baffled by this information. If there is such a hurt inside her, she has no knowledge of it. Miriam urged her to work with Sasha to do some exploration behind those defensive walls in her psyche. Otherwise, she will continue to hurt the people she loves, and she will never understand why. Making the Cut A Novel of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Lester Chapter 29 Rebecca knocked on the door of Daniel's apartment and tried to settle the butterflies in her stomach. Beside her, Sasha sent her a wave of telepathic encouragement. The door opened a moment later, and Nathan Levy nodded politely to them in greeting. "'Miss Brower,' he said. "'Miss King, how can I help you?' Rebecca and Sasha exchanged a look. "'Um, hi, Nate,' Rebecca said. "'Is Dee here? I need to talk to... her.' Nathan looked apologetic. I'm very sorry, but Danny isn't here right now. Have you tried reaching her at the lab? She hasn't been answering my calls, Rebecca said. Ah. Nathan lowered his head for a moment, then raised it again. Well, Miss Brower, you're certainly welcome to leave a message for her. I'll be happy to give it to her the next time I see her. Rebecca frowned. When do you think that'll be? It's really important, Nathan. Nathan shrugged. I couldn't say. Danny's schedule has been pretty variable lately. I haven't seen her much for the last few days, but if you... Hold it. Nathan paused, as Sasha's petite 160-centimeter frame abruptly slid into the gap between the door and the door jamb. She glared up into his face with her hands on her hips. Um, Miss King? You're hiding something, Sasha said. What is it? Nathan averted his eyes from hers. Miss King, if you could just step back outside. Drop the butler act and look at me, she snapped, giving him a shove with one hand. He looked at her, probably more out of reflex than anything else, and Rebecca felt a wave of psychic energy as Sasha's telepathy pushed past Nathan's flimsy defenses. She locked eyes with him for a long, wordless moment. Then she released him, and he stumbled back, gasping. What was that for? He looked and sounded like a kicked puppy. I had to be sure it was really you I was talking to, Sasha said. You're not under any telepathic compulsion, as far as I can tell, so I can only assume that you're choosing to act like a prick. 
So you'd better start talking and do it fast, because I am a pixie's whisker away from ripping it out of your head myself. Now what's going on with Danny? Nathan slumped down in a nearby chair, looking dejected. She's moving out, been spending every night at her boy toy Jared's place. Only time she comes back here is to pick up a load of her stuff. Rebecca came over and sat down next to him. Who is this Jared guy, Nate? Nate shrugged listlessly. Jared Tamlin, Ph.D., 33 years old, got his doctorate in psychology from Empire U in 1990, immediately accepted into the Metamore City Police Department, Central Investigation and Resource Division. Rebecca stared at him, and he shrugged again, a little self-consciously. I ran a background check on him when Danny started dating him. Can't be too careful, you know. So he's a cop? Sasha asked. Sort of, yeah. I mean, he doesn't wear a badge, but he works for him. Rebecca frowned. Has he ever done anything shady? Any dirty cop secrets that they might have covered up? Nathan scoffed. <laughs> the guy's so clean he could be a light bringer. I cracked into the internal affairs database and ran a search. He doesn't have so much as a parking ticket. Do you know where he lives? Rebecca asked. Nathan hesitated. Come on, please, Nate, she begged, taking his hand and gripping it tightly. Danny's in danger. Maybe not from Jared, but something is wrong and she needs my help. I just need to find her and talk to her. She looked straight into his eyes, desperately hoping that he could see in her expression how much she still cared about Daniel. Please. Nathan closed his eyes, sighed and nodded. All right, I've got his address on file. I'll print up some directions for you. Rebecca almost cried in relief. Thank you. They followed Nathan into his bedroom, where he immediately set to work calling up the file. Rebecca looked around in surprise at the bare walls and ceiling. Hey, what happened to all your girly pics? she asked. Nathan shrugged. Well, you know, I just realized it was disrespectful. I'm 23 years old now. It was time to grow up. Sasha cast an eye toward the clock as they climbed into the skimmer. Where to now? she asked. Danny should still be at the lab. Do you want to try and catch her there? Rebecca considered it, then shook her head. No. Whatever's happening to her isn't happening at work. Let's go check out where this guy lives. I want to see if I can channel anything about the place while nobody's home. Jared Tamlin's condo lay several kilometers north of them, and the worst of Metamore City's early afternoon traffic stood between them and their destination. It was nearly three o'clock before they pulled into the visitor's section of the parking garage. Rebecca got out of the skimmer warily, her ESP on high alert. She exchanged a glance with Sasha, and at her nod, they raised their telepathic shields. They wouldn't be able to hear the thoughts of anyone coming, but their own thoughts would be that much less noticeable. Just as importantly, the shields wouldn't prevent Rebecca from using her ESP, which relied on a different form of psionic energy. Clairvoyance, in a danger sense, could be just as useful as telepathy for avoiding trouble. Sometimes more so. They rode the lift up to Jared's level and found his condo without any trouble. 
The security pad next to the door would block any mundane intruder, but Rebecca had something different in mind. She pointed to her eyes, then to Sasha, then to the hallway in either direction. Sasha nodded and moved into a convenient lookout position, while Rebecca went over to the door and put her hand up against it. Closing her eyes, she extended her clairvoyance, letting her viewpoint slip out of her body and into the room beyond. Rebecca's consciousness coalesced into an astral form, an insubstantial body that was visible only to her and any fellow astral travelers that she might happen to run into. She spent several minutes exploring the condo, taking note of the furnishings. So, he's got money, but he's not stuck up about it. Huh. She poked her head into closets and drawers, examining their contents. She couldn't move anything, but solid walls were no barrier to her either. Focusing through large piles of stuff was tricky, but anything that would be readily visible to someone opening a drawer was accessible to her as well. Boxes of Danny's things were shoved into corners and under tables, anywhere they could possibly fit. Several women's outfits hung in the bedroom's walk-in closet, so apparently Danny had been doing some shopping. Rebecca spotted Daniel's sonic toothbrush in the upstairs bathroom, and the sight gave her a familiar pang of nostalgia and loss. She really has moved in, she thought. Coming back out into the bedroom, she studied the pictures on the walls, as well as a few bare spots where pictures had recently been taken down. She examined the files on the desk, but they were written in fluent scientist, and her metaphorical eyes glazed over within seconds. She didn't see anything that would hint at any sort of evil plan to capture Danny. Not that she really expected to, but she could always hope. Sighing, she turned her attention to the bed, which was the focusing point for all of the residual emotional energy that circulated in the room. She grabbed hold of that energy and tried to gather it inside her mind, to catch a glimpse of the events that had happened here. This was tricky, combining her clairvoyance with the use of psychometry to look into the past. Most of the time, she only used one or the other. She could dimly feel the strain on her brain and body as she stretched her perceptions back through time, but she gritted her teeth and forged ahead, or, more accurately, backward. It came as no surprise to her that most of what had happened in the room lately was sex. A lot of sex. A lot of very athletic sex, which was something that Rebecca had missed since Lila started growing inside her. She felt vaguely envious of the beautiful woman with the medium brown skin, who kept rising to one shuddering climax after another, night after night, until she abruptly remembered that the woman in her vision was Danny, and that the man she was with was the mysterious Jared. Rebecca scanned backward through the days and weeks, looking for the day when all of this had started. At last, she saw the night when Danny had sat on the edge of the bed with Jared and talked about his dead wife, and the time of passion that followed. It took her by surprise when Jared tried to talk Danny out of it, but he gave in quickly enough that she realized his heart wasn't in it. He did want to be with Danny, and in the tender moment they shared after their lovemaking, his words echoed through Rebecca's mind. Danny. Oh, gods, Danny, I love you. Never leave me. Never leave me. 
Then Danny relaxed against him, unconsciously holding him tighter. A contented smile came over her face, and in that moment Rebecca realized what had happened. She didn't know how it had happened, but she had a good hunch about how the effects played out. Fiona would have called it a wild guess, but Rebecca had learned to trust her hunches. She just hoped that she would have the chance to do something about it. She shifted her perspective back to her own body and the present moment. Gesturing to Sasha, she led the way back to the lift. She put a finger to her lips to tell Sasha to stay quiet until they were back in the garage and inside their parked skimmer. Let's go, Rebecca said. Head for the hospital. Sasha frowned, but she put on the control headset and spooled up the drive turbines. What's up? she asked, as she pulled out of the garage and onto the skyway. What did you see in there? Enough to know that we don't want to be here when Jared gets home, Rebecca said. The good news is that I don't think he's a bad guy. The bad news is I think he did something to Danny without knowing that he did it. She paused as a thought struck her. Neat too, probably, now that I think about it. What do you think he did? Rebecca grimaced. I think people do what he wants them to. So what? He's a teep who can only use his powers subconsciously? She shook her head. This isn't telepathy. You said yourself that Nate's mind didn't look like it had been messed with. I think maybe this goes deeper. Sasha stole a glance away from the road to look at Rebecca. She looked half incredulous and half terrified. Rebecca felt her scanning her surface thoughts, trying to verify if she was really saying what Sasha thought she was saying. She was, and Sasha didn't look encouraged by it. That's not possible, Sasha whispered. Rebecca bit her lip and fought back her own rising fear. That's what they used to say about us, she said. The hospital was not far from Jared's condo, and they made it there shortly after four o'clock. Rebecca led the way up to the laboratory where Danny worked. They heard the sounds of conversation from halfway down the hall, a clear and pleasant-sounding tenor voice alternating with a cheerful, giggling mezzo-soprano. Come on, it's only twenty minutes, the man said with a laugh. No one's going to miss you. Hells, the doctors are probably all gone by now anyway. The woman murred happily, and Rebecca heard the sound of a kiss. You are a bad influence on me, she teased. Go stand over there and stop getting in my work, or I'm never going to be finished. Rebecca ducked into an adjacent room, and Sasha followed silently. Stretching out her senses, she cast her clairvoyance toward the laboratory. Danny was standing at one of the large, heavy, expensive-looking pieces of test equipment, checking the displays while it did whatever it was supposed to be doing. Jared sat on a nearby stool and watched her with the kind of guileless joy that only someone who was truly in love could muster. Rebecca felt a pang of regret, which Sasha apparently picked up on. "'What is it?' she whispered. Rebecca pulled back from the vision and shook her head. "'Just having second thoughts. He seems like a really nice guy, and she looks so happy.' Sasha frowned. "'Okay, sure.' But if he's doing to her what you think he's doing, then of course she looks happy. She doesn't have a choice. 
A chill ran down Rebecca's spine as she thought about that. Yeah, I know. Still, it's not like it's really his fault. If your hunch is right, Sasha said. For all we know, he might have made a pact with Lady Suspira to become irresistible to women. You can't assume he's innocent when something this big is involved. Rebecca nodded reluctantly and went back to peeping on the lab next door. Jared and Danny chatted idly while she finished her tests, clearly just enjoying each other's company. It reminded Rebecca of the evenings back in college, when she and Daniel would talk while they made dinner or cleaned the apartment. They would bitch about homework assignments or trade bits of university gossip or debate the relative merits of books they had read or movies they had seen. Rebecca missed those conversations. Though she and Daniel had kept in regular contact since she joined Brian's cell, their phone calls and instant messaging chats had grown more strained as her pregnancy advanced. In the three months before the deaths of Dell and Trace, the only times she had seen him in person were at the monthly Hive meetings. The truth is, she thought, I lost Daniel a long time ago. Not that she regretted joining Brian's cell. She loved him, and Fiona, and Sasha, and their shared home together had given her a sense of belonging that she hadn't felt during her university years with Daniel. But she wished there were a way for her to be with Daniel, too, one that didn't involve having an affair outside the breeding cell. There were some things you just didn't do, no matter how much you might want them. In the next room, Danny had moved to her computer and was checking on the data coming in from the machine. Okay, this looks promising, she said. Go ahead and pull up the skimmer. I'll meet you at the door in five. Jared came over to her chair at the computer desk and planted a kiss on her forehead. Your wish is my command, he said, and headed out of the lab. Wait for it, Rebecca whispered. Projecting her clairvoyance down the hall, she watched until Jared entered the lift that would take him down to the parking structure. As soon as the doors closed, she came out of her hiding place and went straight for the lab. Danny cocked her head at the sound of Rebecca's approaching footsteps. You forget something, baby? she asked. Rebecca swallowed back the lump in her throat and crossed her arms. I might ask you the same thing. Danny spun around and stared at her. A rapid barrage of emotions flickered over her face. Surprise, joy, grief, anger, guilt, suspicion, one replacing another almost too fast to see. Rebecca, she stammered, what are you doing here? Trying to save you from something really, really dangerous, she said. I'll explain everything, but right now we have to get you out of here. Danny sprung to her feet, looking alarmed. One of your visions? Rebecca waggled a hand in a sort of gesture. Let's just say that I have a really bad feeling about this. Danny nodded. Good enough for me, she said, grabbing her purse and locking her computer. Come on, we need to catch up to Jared. If there's trouble coming, I'm not letting anything happen to him. Rebecca caught her by the wrist as she headed for the door. Wait, she said. Danny made an exasperated sound. Make up your mind, Bex. Is there trouble or isn't there? Rebecca winced. There is, but Jared's not the one in danger. She swallowed again and felt the lump high in her throat. 
He's sort of the one causing it. Danny stared at her for two full seconds in astonishment. Then her expression changed, turning cool and quiet and very definitely hostile. She pulled her wrist out of Rebecca's hand with a quick, jerking motion. You're wrong, she said. Jared is a good man. I'm not saying he isn't, Rebecca said quickly, holding her hands up in front of her. But he's done something to you, whether he knows it or not. You've changed, Dee. And not just the obvious stuff, either. It's scaring me. Oh, for profit's sake, Danny muttered, turning her back on her. I'm serious, Daniel. No! Danny was up in her face again in an instant, grabbing her by the shoulders. You do not call me that anymore! Rebecca cringed. Okay, okay, fine. It's Danny, fine. Danny loosened her grip and stared at Rebecca, her beautiful eyes still burning with blue-white anger. She took a breath and let it out before she spoke again. You think it didn't occur to me to be scared at how fast I changed? I know I'm different, Bex. I didn't need you to tell me that. I went to the best wizard in town and had him run me through his tests to make sure nobody was fucking with my head. And you know what he told me? Rebecca suspected that she did, but she shook her head anyway. All those changes in my personality came from in here. She pointed at her own heart. This is all me, Bex. I did this to me. If I'm different, it's because I wanted to be different. Rebecca looked up at her, her heart sinking. But what if he's wrong? Suppose... Just suppose that maybe there's somebody out there who can change what you want, maybe without even knowing he's doing it. Danny shook her head emphatically. Artax says it can't be done. Sorry, Bex, but you're looking for monsters where there aren't any. She turned away and walked out of the lab. Rebecca followed her. So come with us and let's prove it. We've got one of the elders back at the nest. I'm sure they'll be able to think of a way to test it and make sure that it's really you that's doing this. Wouldn't you rather know for sure? Danny stopped halfway to the lift. She turned around and walked slowly toward Rebecca, her expression unreadable. For a moment, Rebecca started to hope that maybe she had gotten through to her. No, Danny said. Rebecca blinked, stunned. But Danny... The way I feel is the way I feel, she said. Look at me. I'm beautiful. I feel good about myself. I'm in love with the great guy. I'm happy, Rebecca. Gods, do you have any idea how long it's been since I could say that? Rebecca lowered her eyes. Look at me. Reluctantly, Rebecca did so. She could see tears welling up in Danny's eyes. I'm happy. Danny said again. I haven't felt that way since the day I knew you'd have to leave me. I want you to be happy for me, the way I've been happy for you and your new life. She wiped at the tears spilling down her face. And instead, all you can do is stand there and tell me that I'm bent and broken and, and wrong because I feel this way. Oh, Danny's happy. Somebody must have screwed with her head, because Prophet knows that's not allowed. 
Heaven forbid that there be any happiness in the world for her that doesn't involve her one true love, Rebecca Brower. Her face twisted into a snarl. Well, fuck that. And fuck you. I refuse to be miserable just to justify your place as the center of the universe. And if somebody made me feel this way, I will go down on my knees and suck his cock in gratitude. Because this is a hell of a lot better than the way you've made me feel for the last fucking year. Rebecca backed away, one step after another. She couldn't speak, couldn't think, couldn't breathe. She hadn't seen this coming. Danny just stood there in the hallway and stared her down as she retreated. Your boyfriend is dead, Rebecca Brower, she said. You killed him the day you left, you backstabbing bitch. She spread her arms wide. I am the phoenix that rose from his ashes, and I am alive. And if you don't like what I've become, then fuck you, because you got nobody to blame but yourself. Rebecca stumbled and fell on her ass, sobbing. Danny turned away, walked to the lift tube, and went inside. She didn't look back even once. And that's the end of chapter 29. Come back next time when Sasha and Rebecca seek some answers from the wizard Artax. Susan Sontag said, To write mainly about myself seems to me a rather indirect route to what I want to write about. Though my evolution as a writer has been toward more freedom with the I and more use of my private experience— I've never been convinced that my tastes, my fortunes and misfortunes, have any particularly exemplary character. My life is my capital, the capital of my imagination. I like to colonize. So join me for a voyage into uncharted lands. It's time for the weekly writing report. This update covers the period of May 8th through June 4th. The last four weeks have been a time of transition. Mel and I went on an eight-day vacation to Montana, and I used that time to produce three more episodes of the podcast, rebuilding the buffer that I had allowed to dwindle during the month of April. We also spent a lot of time relaxing and enjoying the outdoors, taking long walks with the dogs and doing a day trip into Yellowstone National Park. Toward the end of that trip, I got the comments back from my last beta reader on the Honor Bound trilogy, and I started working on incorporating the edits into the manuscript. After we got back home, though, I hit a creative dead spot. Partly, I think I was overwhelmed by some of the changes I was going to have to make in Honor Bound. Partly, I was hit with a rush of work at my day job. And partly, I was just tired. I broke my chain on May 11th, during the two-day drive to Montana, and again on May 16th, during the drive back, and I still haven't gotten my momentum back. Since then, I worked on editing the manuscript on only three days, and worked on the podcast only once. Looking back at the month of May, I wrote a total of 4,944 words in seven days, averaging 706 words per day. That ranks 64th out of 73 months since I started this podcast. 
I spent just 11.25 hours writing in May. Compared to April, my word count decreased by 48%, and my writing time decreased by 33%. Some of that's because of time spent editing, and some is because of time spent producing the podcast, but there were a full 15 days when I didn't do either one. I'd be lying if I said this wasn't discouraging. I've been enjoying getting back into computer games as a hobby, but it's a hobby that comes with a cost. I tend to get into things sort of obsessively, if I get into them at all, and that means that other interests tend to fall by the wayside. Ideally, I'd allow gaming to replace the hours that I waste on social media and reading random articles on the internet, while still defending the time that I need for my writing. I haven't been very good at striking that balance yet. I've set a new goal for myself. I want to have all of the edits on Honor Bound finished by the end of June. This is a deadline with an external pressure behind it, because I need to get the manuscript to my narrators so they can begin recording. Hopefully that pressure will help me do a better job this month of keeping on task. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641 715 then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2021 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.